I really hope that what I've got uh, here to share is interesting. I hope it's interesting, but more than that, I, I hope it puts a, a little bit of a frame around what's happening in your world. You know, maybe, maybe in your world, the biggest thing isn't COVID. There's lots of other big things that happen that we have to deal with. Um, maybe you've got big, awesome, exciting opportunities in front of you. Maybe, maybe you've got big, awesome, frightening threats in front of you. Uh, either way, I think it's helpful when we have a frame, when we can put all those things that are happening, not into a box to contain them, but into a frame so that we can see them. Uh, and when I think about the, this idea of going big, uh, if you've known Pastor Sam for any length of time, you, you know that he's not, he's not like just making up a thing. Like, go big isn't just like, hey, this would be a cool idea in February. Go big is what he's been on about this whole time, right? If we're going to go, let's go big. You know, if you're going to get out, you might as well get out swinging for the fences, right? As opposed to just getting struck out. And, and sometimes that frame of let's go big is not sometimes, all the time having that frame of, hey, there's something bigger, there's more to see, there's more to understand, there's more going on that I don't understand. It's big out there, and I'm going to go into that big space. If you don't have that frame, what frame do you have? If you're not going to go big, what are you doing? You're shrinking back. It's really hard. I found it impossible in my life. If I look at various seasons in my life, I've either been stretching out and going big, and that's not or it's not always in a prideful, big me way, right? But it's, it's a, I'm looking out, I'm, I'm reaching out, right? I'm believing. I'm either doing that or I'm falling back, shrinking back, maybe in fear, maybe in shame or whatever. So it's strange times that we serve a big God, right? And, and we're not at risk of rejecting God. In fact, I don't think you can reject God. The idea of God is that he, God is the, 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 the thing, we believe the person who causes all the things to be, <laughs> right? You can't, you could, you'd have to work pretty hard. You'd have to bend your brain pretty hard to reject the fact that things exist, <laughs> right? And you know, you, you're a person and what made you exist had to have some understanding of what it means to be a person. Right, the thing that caused you to be, and, and that's not my idea, that's a, like Augustine or somebody, that old idea, right? We're not in danger of rejecting God, but we are at risk and in the habit of reducing God. And I think there's some real significant reasons why we reduce God. It's got something to do with when we allow other things to be big, we have to realize how small we are. And that might be a bit of a challenge sometimes. So anyway, let's read the Bible because I've used up four minutes already and we should start. Okay, so if, if you've got your Bible, uh, open it up or on your app, whatever, find Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. This is a really familiar passage of Scripture, but only, I want you to think not just of the story here, but of the frame that it sets for us, right? So it says this, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord. This is Isaiah sharing his own vision. I saw the Lord seated on a high and elevated throne. The hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs, that's like giant dragon-like angels, stood over him. 
each one had six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And they used the two other remaining ones to fly. They called out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. His majestic splendor fills the entire earth. The sound of their voices shook the door frames and the temple was filled with smoke. I said, woe to me. Some translations it says, ooh, too bad for me. <laughs> right? Too bad for me. I'm destroyed for my lips are contaminated by sin. And I live among people whose lips are contaminated by sin. My eyes have seen the king the Lord of heaven's armies. But then one of the seraphs flew down toward me. Giant wings, lizard-like thing. Flew down towards me. And in his hand was a hot coal that he'd taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and he said, look, this coal has touched your lips. Your evil is removed. Your sin is forgiven. I heard the voice of the Lord say, whom will I send? Who's gonna go on our behalf? And I answered, here I am, send me. And he said, go. Like, like I said, this is like a, a well-known bit of Bible, right? You, if you listen to me preaching very many times, I use mostly the well-known <laughs> bits of Bible, right? It's a well-known story, but one of the key things we need to recognize here is this happened the year the king Uzziah died. The king in any ancient society like, the, like Israel, where this story sort of comes from, the king's not just the guy who's sort of sitting on a throne, like that might be a part of what he does, but the king rules over a nation. And when a king rules over a nation, it, we sort of think trumpets, proclamations, you know, and we get our idea of what kings are from Shrek, you know. Um, that's just a cartoon, right? In real life, kings actually have to rule they have to control, they have to administrate, they have to organize, they have to decide what's in and what's out, they have to decide how much things cost, they have to decide what the taxes are, they have to decide who has land and who doesn't, who goes to prison, who gets their head chopped off. And you sort of think, well, they do that for fun. They don't. They do that to provide shape and structure for the whole society. And this is the year that King Uzziah died. I'm not a historian, but I love history podcasts as much as the rest of you, right? And anytime you listen to history podcasts and a king dies or an emperor dies, there's one I was listening to about the, the end of the Roman uh, Republic uh, and then you know, all these different Caesars ruling. And there's, there's one year where one Caesar died and then it was called the year of four Caesars, right? And it's like, yay. It sounds like it's cool in history, but at the time... What that meant is someone would rise up and take control and kill all their enemies, and then someone else would come from Spain, kill all their enemies, take control. Someone else would rise up, kill him, take control. Meanwhile, people like you and me who are just like shopkeepers or street musicians or whatever, we've got to try and figure out how, what's going on, how does life work now as all these things are changing around us. And I reckon this. We get to see God in all of that chaos when we seek Him. Isaiah, didn't, Isaiah wasn't the only one experiencing all the upheavals of King Uzziah's death and all the change that resulted from it, but he was someone who was looking for God. He was someone reaching out. And when we seek Him, that's when we see Him, right? Uh, Proverbs eleven twenty seven: the one who diligently seeks good seeks favor, but the one who searches for evil it will come to him. Deuteronomy talks about 
Moses is talking to the children of Israel. He's saying, when you go into the promised land, you're going to get there. You're going to get all comfy and cozy. And then you're going to start to worship all the things around you. So all the things that have been caused to be rather than the one who causes things to be. Right? So once we start to worship comfy house, cushy job, uh, our next goals, our next holiday, once we start to worship all the things around rather than the, the God who causes things, then, it's, then all destruction happens, right? And this is what Moses is When you do that, you're going to call out in distress after that. And you're going to turn to the Lord, right? If you seek the Lord from there, this is verse 29 of Deuteronomy chapter 4. If you seek the Lord, you'll find him. If you seek him with all your heart and soul, right? You'll find him because he's a merciful God. He cares for you. And the truth of Scripture truly is that when we don't see God, sometimes it's because he's hiding, and sometimes it's because we're not looking. Most importantly, it's usually, often I reckon, we don't see God because we're looking at the wrong things. There's this amazing study called the Invisible Gorilla Study. Um, you can Google it, so I'm not going to cite all the details. It's a study looking at um, inattentional blindness. It's a nice word for you, Uncle Wayne. Inattentional blindness. I, I, can you tell I've been practicing that word? Inattentional blindness. And the study goes like this. Uh, they get a group of participants to watch a video. And they tell the participants there's a blue team wearing blue T-shirts. And there's a, I think it's a white team or a red team. Probably not red, that'd be, that's a bit gangland. It's, let's, we'll say it's a white team, a blue team and a white team, and they're wearing different colored t-shirts, and they're throwing the ball back and forward to each other, right? So the blue team, they're all mixed up. So it's netball, right? That's a shorter thing. It's a game of netball. They're throwing the ball back and forward with no, I can't, you can't tell what's going on. They're just throwing the ball back and forward. And as the participants, you guys have to count how many times did the blue team pass the ball to each other? And how many times did the white team pass the ball to each other? So it's pretty complex. All this stuff's going on. And so the participants sit and watch the video. And they're counting the different teams and the different movements. Right? In the middle of the video, a gorilla walks onto the, into the video. Right? Not a, no, sorry. Not a gorilla. Someone dressed in a gorilla suit. <laughs> An actual gorilla could have been. That study is probably not going to get past ethics, right? But the gorilla comes in. The, the man in the gorilla suit comes in, and he stands right in front of the camera, middle of the shot. He beats his chest ah, 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 like that, and then he walks off shot. And 50% of the study participants didn't see the gorilla. Because we're looking at all the other stuff. It could be, it might be, it's likely that when you're in the middle of something maybe big and exciting or something big and threatening, you don't see God, not because he's not there, not because he's hiding, but because you're looking at all these other things and inattentional blindness is robbing you from seeing the big God who's beating his chest in the middle of your circumstance, in the middle of the situation, who's wanting to lead you through it. So we see God when we seek him. And I reckon as well, there's a lot of, these aren't points today, they're just reckons. I've had reckon number one and my next reckon. My reckon is, because it's not Twitter, I can just throw out my reckons without rebuttal. So um, we see him because of the chaos, not despite the chaos. This is, 
a little hard to explain, I reckon, maybe a little bit hard to get our heads around. There's a part of certainly my culture, so New Zealand, I'm a New Zealandish person. The big part of what we're aiming for as New Zealanders is this is, is really comfort and safety. Right? Things that upset us are things that make us uncomfortable or things that make us feel unsafe. So we're pursuing things like, you know, the American dream is like this story that we know about through, you know, all of the literature and movies and all that. But the New Zealand dream is, is more like um, you have a house in the suburbs and a boat and a batch, Right? I think there's. I think the some sociologists talk about New Zealand. The New Zealand dream is a a boat, a batch, and a BMW. Right, and if you're listening from overseas, it's that's correct. <laughs> it's a very small dream, <laughs> right? This is this is the idea of what we're really truly reaching for, right? But what can happen is we begin to equate this good thing. A boat, a batch, and a BMW becomes the God thing, so that then anything that threatens the good thing that we think is the God thing must be evil, right? But God's dream for you is not your comfort. I'm really sorry to tell you that this morning, how God's dream for you is not peace and tranquility. Jesus said, I came to bring a sword. I came to bring destruction. It's not all he said. He also said, I came to heal and all this other thing. Part of what God wants for you is to break things up, shake things up, get things moving forward. And that's what we call an apocalypse. Throughout your life, you have multiple apocalypse. The only thing interesting about the COVID thing, the only thing interesting about COVID is that we're having this one all together. It's a shared one, right? Normally you get to go through your midlife crisis by yourself, right? But we're having a big crisis all together. And there's some benefits to that, right? There's some obvious downsides as well. Apocalypse it, part of the understanding of apocalypse is it's when everything falls apart. But it's much bigger. The word means a lot more than that. It's more like apocalypse is when we finally see what's really going on because everything fell apart. Right? We finally get to understand what's really going on. That's what's happening in Revelation chapter 4 where, where John's invited into the throne room. And the Bible says the, the Jesus says to John in the, in the revelation, the apocalypse, the revelation, Come up and I'll show you the things to come, right? And then what the first thing he sees isn't a thing that's coming. It's a thing that's happening right now. He's brought into the same throne room that Isaiah saw. The same one that pops up throughout the Bible, this place where God is glorified. The bigness of God is celebrated. The wonder of God is there. And that's the first thing you see in this revelation, it's the first thing we need to see. When things start to fall apart, this is our chance to find, learn, learn at another level how things really work. That's what a midlife crisis is. Your confidence falls apart. Your, 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 your view of the future changes. You get a sore back, right? There's a whole bunch of things going on. But what happens is you finally realize what's going on. So I injured my back when I was in my 30s. I was in a mosh pit at Branded. Uh, at Tocha Springs. You'd remember that, right? I was at a mosh pit and uh, probably you were standing next to me and I was jumping up and down in my fake chucks for the warehouse, not good enough. Um, and it hurt my back a little bit and my legs have, my left leg hasn't been the same since. And since then I've run a couple of marathons, did a big, a big, big, all these other things. <laughs> Some time ago I did that. But, but, but 
I've had a lot of pain in my back last year, and pl- I play hockey, so it's like a bit sore, and, rah, rah, and you, you come off like, and you have to rub deep heat on it, you know, and, and you say things like this when you get off the couch, you know. But now that my back is sore and all that stuff, then you go and get uh, MRI. So you can see that, well, what's actually going on is the injury you did in your 20s and then again in your 30s has meant that now in your 40s, those two vertebrae are just stacked on top of each other without the bit in the middle, right? Which is not good or bad. It's just what your back is like. Just what, that's just what it's like. So now I can figure out how do I manage. Do you see what you hear what I'm saying? So what I'm saying is back pain's not bad. It's not evil, it's just an opportunity to look a bit deeper, find out what's going on, right? So when we think about what's happening in the world at the moment, and, and a lot of it you could say, hey, that's evil, or this is good, or that's bad, and this is good. But it's not our primary role isn't to choose what's good and what's bad. Our primary role is to engage with life. Remember, the tree of life's always available to you, and the temptation is good or evil, Catch yourself next time you're deciding this is good, that's evil, this is good, that's evil. See how it's making you feel. I'm judging this, I'm judging that, this is bad, this is good, the protesters, the horses, the rah-rah, all this other stuff that's going on. Or you can go, hey, where's life in this? Where can we find the tree of life in all these things that are going on? Where can we find the tree of life and eat the fruit from that, right? We've got to think a bit bigger. We've got to actually spend some time meditating and allow the Holy Spirit to lead our thinking beyond the people in the white t-shirts and the blue t-shirts throwing the ball around. Beyond the symptoms. Beyond that and think, at a, I guess not so much bigger, but also higher, right? Just like John invited him to throw him, just like Isaiah, I saw the Lord, right? Is it making sense? Recently, we, we had some car trouble. Um, and... Obviously, for me, I knew that we had car trouble because there was a light on the dash, so car trouble, right? And then I knew we had car trouble because the car wouldn't change out of second gear. Uh, Then I knew we had car trouble because it wouldn't go beyond 3,000 RPM, which is fine as long as you're not going up a hill. Um, There's a lot of hills in New Zealand, particularly centred around Wellington, right? So... Then I took it to the mechanic, and, and it was something to do with the hose had come off the back of the turbo, which allowed lots of diesel to flood through the system, which clogged the catalytic converter. It clogged it to the point where it couldn't clean itself, so it had to get taken out. I could get a new one for $6,000. I was like, well, we do have four children. We could, we could, we could live with three, right? $6,000. It got sent to Auckland. It got soaked over Easter in a thing. I don't know. You know, when it breaks down, then you find out how complicated this is. When it breaks down, do you know also you also find how awesome it is? It's when it breaks down you find out what's really going on. You know, when a, a lazy, inattentive, useless boyfriend gets a breakup text, that's not the end of the world. It's a revelation of how the world really is. Right? Some of what's going on for us at the moment is a massive opportunity to see God in a new way. One of the challenges in my last reckon is that when we see God, so my first reckon was when we seek Him, we see Him. The second reckon, you'll have to rewind and find it. But the third reckon is when we see Him, we see ourselves. 
I love this, that bit in Isaiah 6 where Isaiah says, it says, I saw the Lord. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on this throne. And his, his robe fills the temple with glory. And there's angels and monsters and smoke, right? And then he says, whoa, too bad for me. I am destroyed because I'm a person of unclean lips. Right, when he was brought into the presence of God, he saw the power and the wonder, the glory of God. He also saw his own weakness. There's an amazing story in Luke 5 where um, Jesus is preaching to a large crowd and he gets into Simon Peter's boat, soon to the future apostle, St. Peter. He gets into the fishing boat belonging to Simon Peter and he preaches to the crowd and then he says to Simon Peter, hey, push out into the deep three nets again. And Peter's like, oh, you know, I'm a back. Oh, I was a bit sore. I've been fishing all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say we're going to go, and they, they went out and they caught this massive catch of fish. And he, has to, he has to get his mates to come and help, and they bring all these fish in. And it, it's, the Bible says something interesting. It says that when Peter saw the fish, we saw it all, he fell down at Jesus' feet. And he didn't say, Oh, I worship you, King of the fish. He didn't say, oh, fish God, Jesus, you know. He fell down and he said, go away from me, for I'm a sinful person. And here I reckon is one of the biggest tricks of our Christian journey. It's one of the biggest tricks of being a human, is that our resistance to seeing God is based on our sense of shame about ourselves. Do you know, when I do um, seminars around the place, I talk about emotions. And I talk about, I get people to list all the emotions. And people can usually come up with happy and sad. Obviously, sad's easy once you've already got happy. Uh, happy, sad, angry. People usually come up with angry. And then the room goes quiet. No one can think of any other emotions. There are only five main emotions, but usually people can only think of three. Sometimes people come up with with the next one, which is fear, but that's, that's always the fourth. Happy, yeah, sad comes to mind. Anger, I, I drove here, so yeah, I know what anger's about. Um, fear. See, a lot of us are not used to being fearful. We're not used to dealing with it. We got, grew up in families where they say, hey, don't be silly, stop being so frightened. You know, we didn't learn how to deal with it, so, but we sort of have to. So fear, and then the last one is disgust or shame. Disgust is when you're disgusted at everybody else. <laughs> We've all got friends like that, right? But disgust when it's in, focused on you, when you're disgusted with yourself, that's one of the most difficult things, I, I reckon again. It's one of the most difficult things to deal with because we're not, we never learn, you're never going to learn how to deal with that feeling in a family scenario. You'll learn how to feel the feeling because people will throw it at you. But it's not like very often you have those moments in a family where there's time to sit down with someone who's feeling disgusted with themselves and help them process through. We're so reluctant to see this big God who's revealing himself because it makes us feel small. The story of Adam and Eve where they, where they sinned and they fall short of God's glory and then, then God's wanting to meet with them and hang out and they're hiding in the bushes and then they, they come out and they've made clothes out of leaves I don't know you should try it sometime 
I think the comfort factor is minimal. Comfort factor is minimal. And it doesn't do a great job either, right? Like you still look stupid. I haven't done the science on this, but I'm just going to assume that if you're trying not to look foolish and shameful, dressing up in leaves is not much better than just being naked. But so often that's what we do. We present to God, hey, all this crazy is going on in the world. Things are starting to break up and that's part of the season that we're in. And God's above it. We can see through the chaos and realign and reshape our thinking, reframe our world around this big God. But the very next thing that happens is we think, whoa, small me. Which I think is why a lot of us will curate a life that's nice and small so that we can contain it with a smooth equilibrium. Nothing comes in that's going to disrupt our flow. We keep it nice and small. We don't talk to that person. Stay away from that person. Stick in our echo chambers. Only read the books that we like. And some of that's good. Some of that, you know, some boundaries is good. But when things start to break up, your little world is going to break up and it's an opportunity to look beyond and redefine and reshape it. I had this, I had like a dream um, a year or so ago, probably a year ago. Um, and So in 2018, I, I left my role as a senior pastor of a church because I really felt God calling me to something different. And I felt that that season was finished and I need to embrace the next one. And then it's was a real up and down journey. One of the things I first found out was I'm not very good at many things, <laughs> right? I'm only really good at one thing, and it's called talking, right? And I was looking on Seek, you know, looking for a job, talking, talking, talk, talker, talker. No, there's not many, right? So it was a massive retooling. It would have been nice to finish one season and step straight into the next one, but there's this middle part where God's like, no, It's not about this one finishes and that one starts. This one finishes and here's a season called Big, Big Mess. That's not like, it's not like a non-season. It's an actual place God wanted me to be. It's a space where God wanted me to learn. And, you know, through the chaos of, of having no income, then some income, then lots of income, then no income, then some income, then lots of income, and then borrowing money off Byron to buy a 1992 Toyota Starlet. Right, there are low points in all of our lives, right? But that was my low point. A, you have to borrow money off Byron March, and B, to buy a Toyota Starlet from a car wrecker, right? But you know what I've seen in all the chaos? I've seen God be good to me in ways I would never have seen without all the chaos. But I had this dream a year ago, and I've always been the guy who can see what's coming, make a plan, plan might work, it might not work, but I can see what's coming. That's always been something that I've been confident with. But I, I, was, I was in this dream, I was in a boat, and I was looking through my telescope, but the telescope was a kaleidoscope. And I was still pretending, but I had no idea what's going on. And I know for people, wherever you're sitting, whatever country you're in, whatever furniture you're upon, for a lot of us, that's what this has been like. Is that the telescope, we're still doing the same things. Standing up at the, at the front of the boat, planning, thinking. This, but we've got no idea what's going on. And we need, a, it's almost like I can feel God spinning 
the kaleidoscope. Like recalibrating is a word that someone texted me last night. Recalibrating the kaleidoscope. So it's, it's almost like not, not just a telescope comes into focus, but a kaleidoscope shifts from random colours to I saw the Lord seated on the throne and the train of His garment filled the temple and there was dragons, monsters, angels and smoke. And I thought, whoa, man, what about me? I'm useless. And then the angel came down and made us right again. We've got 30 seconds. Take 30 seconds. Just in your group, maybe close your eyes. If you're by yourself, you can close your eyes. You don't need permission, obviously. And just have a think. Just Even just allow, it's probably not you thinking, it's allowing the Holy Spirit. I feel there's going to be a shift actually in your, like your chest. Maybe that's where your eyes are. But just a shift, a recalibrate. Not a wind up, just a, a spin and a focus and a shift and the orange and the green and the blue and the yellow come together. Maybe that happens right now as we pray. Maybe that happens across the next week. Maybe the next month. But let's be seeking Him. And let's be seeking Him. Holy Spirit, I thank You that as I've been speaking, You've been speaking too. As I've been saying words, you've been shifting attitudes, moving hearts, building faith. And Lord, the things that you're doing in our hearts are so much greater than the things we think, so much greater than the words we can say, so much greater than the testimony we can bring. God, you're seated high above. And Lord, I pray for every brother, every sister, and in any relocation, Lord, I pray an opening of hearts. Lord, I pray a releasing of minds that we'd be able to not just think bigger, not just think broader, Lord, but we have to think above, Lord God, that we'd see beyond the chaos, we'd see beyond the complexity, Lord God, that we'd spot the gorilla. Lord, that we'd see you in the middle of the game, Lord, we'd see, oh man, in all the ups and downs, I can see you clearly, God. In all those ups and downs, I can see you again, my God. You know, one of the most awesome things about Yahweh, this God who causes all things to be, is in, in the tradition of Scripture, there's all through these, these, these visions that people have, there they see God and they see things in a new way. And I, I love in this vision of Isaiah, he sees God high lifted up and holy so separate, so different, so perfect, so pure. And Isaiah's immediate reaction is, whoa, too bad for me because I'm a person of unclean lips. He he instantly spotted what was wrong with him. He instantly spotted what was wrong with his whole people. (laughs) And I live among people of unclean lips. But what he saw was God and an altar and angels and all this stuff. And it overwhelmed him. He was overwhelmed by his own sin, his own inadequacy. But in that big picture of what he saw, one of the things in the picture was this altar and this angel and and this coal. In this big picture, when we see God, we're confronted by our own inadequacy. But in the picture of God is this coal and this angel, this redemption moment 
One of the things that's amazing about God, He's big, He's powerful, holy, eternal, and He loves us. And He, the, the angel takes the holy thing, the holiest thing off the holiest altar and brings it to little Isaiah, who is bigger than me, but he's littler than God. The angel comes down and redeems the human. It's not like the other religions where the human comes up and is enlightened or elevated or made holy. No, the angel comes down. And that's exactly what we see in Jesus. Jesus comes down and redeems all of us. He died a death on the cross to pay the price. That was the burning. You know, they talk about the passion of Christ. That's the burning of Christ. This is this burning coal that cleanses us and makes us whole so that we can operate in relationship. We're not here with the rule book and the plan book. If you're you're doing the last two years with a rule book and a plan book, you're going to struggle. We're here with a relationship that we can see God and we can not just see Him, we see Him come to us and redeem us. Dear God, I thank You that You are the one who causes all things to be. And Jesus, as God of all, You died for me. Today I acknowledge You and I ask You to forgive my sin. I'm choosing today to follow You and I ask You to forgive me and make me whole. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Also, why don't you give God a hand clap? It's a good thing to acknowledge the great God.